Good afternoon. Welcome to our October 30th, 2023 Community Policing Podcast. Today, I have with me the CEO of Haven, uh, Christine Canal. Uh, Christine has been the CEO with Haven now for how long? A little over a year. And um, kind of brings us back. I met Christine years ago uh, when she was a Southfield police officer. I think you were in the DB or maybe were you the court officer at one point? Uh, court. I worked in the sergeant. I was a sergeant in court services and then investigations lieutenant coordinator. Okay. Yep. So um, so it's kind of a unique experience for you to be now the CEO of Haven uh, with such an extensive investigative background in the city of Southfield. Yes. Correct? Absolutely. I mean, having 20 years law enforcement and now being an advocacy agency gives us a lot of feedback and, and a lot of collaboration, which is great with law enforcement. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what Haven is first. Um, for our viewers that are out there, um, I think there's this um, general perception that there's not many resources um, available for victims of domestic violence, or, or if you have been a victim, maybe you just don't feel like there's a lot of resources out there. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what Haven is and what resources we provide. Sure. So Haven is a domestic violence. Uh, we have a crisis shelter, but we handle with domestic violence, but we also deal with sexual assault. So we help people of crime of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, um, and then victims of sexual assault. And the intimate partner violence side, a lot of people think domestic violence, you get in a fight with your brother, or you get in a fight with uh, your sister, something like that. That's not what Haven does. What we specifically do is intimate partner violence. So a significant other partner, someone that you're dating in a dating relationship, and you're needing to get out an emergency. We provide, um, you know, if people want to shut their eyes at home and just think about what you have on right now. Could you actually leave the house? And would you be prepared to leave somewhere for 30 days or more? And oftentimes it's you can't even leave for three hours without preparing um, and things, let, let alone 30 days. So from the moment they walk in, um, we get a client. Law enforcement oftentimes is the, um, the ball that gets kicked to Haven. It's through law enforcement referral, emergency services referral, whether it be nurses, emergency departments, fire departments. Um, they call our crisis line, and that's the first call. Once you call the crisis line, you, um, which is one of the services we provide, at that point you determine whether or not you have um, a need or an ability to leave. And we try to create safety planning, assess um, the situation and what you're going through, and assess if Haven's the right fit for you. And then from there, we do an intake. If we feel you're a good fit for a crisis shelter, um, emergency shelter, then we'll start doing an intake form and do an assessment, um, making sure it's a good fit. And then when you come into shelter, we start providing basic needs. It could be clothing, uh, children's clothing. We register for the children for school. We collaborate with, eight, like if you have a one of your um, uh taxpayers here, your your customers that you would come across, come to Haven, we would see if Bloomfield Schools could coordinate and collaborate with transportation. Uh, we provide, um, outside of the basic needs, we provide food, um, dietary restrictions, everything, anything and everything in shelter. We provide internet use, uh, computers, so we can do job applications, help people look for jobs, so they can become financial and um, self-sustainable. We connect them with a case manager for housing uh, assistance, see if they apply, um, can qualify for Section 8 housing. And if they can't, we have partnerships with our development director that allow us to waive some of those fees. So if you're, mm -hmm. you have to leave your home today and you don't have financial ability, but you know you're going to get that next check in two weeks, then we can 
temporarily house you and then look for that partnership with an apartment complex. We provide everything. Um, the minute you leave shelter, we do have resource room um, that connects with resources throughout uh, throughout Oakland County is what we try to do, but also throughout the state. And we collaborate with people on a national level. So we can find if you want to leave out of state, we're able to collaborate with other sister agencies. And is Haven a national model? Is this a national model or is it more Oakland County or state of Michigan based? So, so yes, and um, it's, it's all of it. Haven is specifically, um, tar when I say targeted, we primarily serve people of Oakland County because we're primarily funded by Oakland County donors, municipalities, and grant money, um, and then the state. Um, and when I say the state, it's a, definitely a collaborative effort with sister agencies within the state and other counties. And we try to collaborate with resources. So I might have, um, like Avalon in Detroit is a sexual assault center, but they might have someone who's experienced IPV or other uh, intimate partner violence but need more of a crisis uh, shelter. So we collaborate with other to make sure those funding, those dollars get spent and get go a long way um, in servicing each other. But on a national level, um, it is it is a movement that's been on the national level since the 70s. So Haven's been around since 1975. Um, our doors first opened, but even prior to then, there was there was a movement that was occurring nationally for you know women's rights and advocating for yourself and understanding what happens in the home, what's acceptable, what's not. So on a national level, I would say that our uh, philosophy, our way of trying to find root solutions, so that's a grassroots solution, is from within the home, from within the schools, is try to make awareness so yeah. that that definitely is a national model so we we kind of talked about this before we went on the show um obviously with your history as a, as a, as a law enforcement or a, a you know first responder earlier on in your career you were responding to these runs and we talked about the difference uh, differences from today how we respond and spend time with our victims um about domestic violence and i, and I, I think we sit, when we think victims right to our minds you and i both probably from the from day one would think female victims Sure. Right? Sure. But things have changed so drastically over the years that we do run into, you know, um, plenty of husbands or whatever type of significant other um, are also can be victims as well. So but we talked a little bit before about just before we, we got to a house on a domestic, we solved the problem. We separated the parties and we went back out and we didn't really worry about those repeat calls um, and, and things of that nature. So and really Haven's kind of help build us past that as it is victim focused. Um, let's, let's get people out of relationships or, or a, an environment where they're not safe. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things. Two things, two things I'll mention. One, the relationship with law enforcement. And I'll tell you, tell, put, push pause on that one. Yep. The first one, what I would say is over time um, with law enforcement itself, I guess, I guess we could start there. When I started the job in 1999, law enforcement was it was we were reactive and responsive to the caller, right? So, and there still is times I'm, I'm sure you guys are still doing that, but you respond to a 911 call and you're, but you have capacity too, right? You have another call, you have another call. I mean, I worked for the city of Southfield, so it was 90,000 calls for service a year, and you had 60 patrol officers answering those 90,000 calls. I would say conservatively a third, probably even more like half of those calls for service are domestic violence related and, and a large amount of them are intimate partner violence related. So you 
go back how many times? I mean, you've been to, you probably can name, uh, you know, 20 households in your community that uh, you guys are kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And so Sometimes with multiple times in a day, multiple times in a day, yeah. because, um, because, and then again, you're dealing with capacity. So the real issue is you don't have enough officers. You can't have an, one officer per household. That's certainly not going to happen, but what can come to a solution or at least at least us driving for a solution, right, to eradicate domestic violence would be wonderful. That's our mission, yeah. um, is to provide resources such as Haven in your community, and Haven's here. So what it takes is that systems change. So organizations like Haven um, and law enforcement is for us to collaborate and find root solutions. And one of the things we're working on Yvette Brown, our new social action director, um, is tasked with is she's got a fantastic team that works within the uh, law enforcement communities, works on crisis response teams, and our goal is to reestablish, and it's constantly reestablishing these relationships with law enforcement, uh, the judges, um, and anybody else in systems, prosecutors, is to get what is the response, what is the resource available to you at Haven? Do the officers understand when they come in through your field training program? Do the residents understand coming into their emergency departments? Do those young firemen understand and the young uh, assistant prosecutors? And the answer oftentimes is no, because it's not established in process or policy at the organizational level, which is where we need collaboration with police chiefs, fire chiefs, you know, the uh, head prosecutors, Karen McDonald, any one of those. And that's where, once we get established in policy and process that Haven, you have a sexual assault, you shall call Haven, that young officer knows in field training. You have an um, intimate partner violence situation or we're out for, for the second time you shall call Haven or make a referral to Haven or give them a citizen information sheet with Haven's number. So that's kind of what's changed over the years is one, the you know agencies like ours exist, and two, um, law enforcement is absolutely collaborative in this process where maybe you and I wouldn't have seen that 25 years ago. They would have said, just leave. We were really archaic, right? Like yeah. we were archaic in our thinking um, we were just, it's, why did they stay? I mean, they're the ones who chose to go back. But the reality is, is people, it's just not that easy. You know? It's not that easy. And let's talk a little bit about some of those, our, our victims that we do deal with. If we make a, you know, um, I, I guess the victims aren't alone. Correct with, with Haven. That's part of the process. Is there's advocates that let's just say we make a uh, any type of intimate partner violence arrest, um, and and Haven becomes involved, or there's a prosecution portion of it, or let's just say it's an aggravated domestic or a repeat. That through the court process, Haven will in the through with work in the prosecutor's office will will have a victim advocate um, present with with that victim throughout the process to make to kind of have that person to lean on a little bit, um, sure. but not a little bit, a lot, really, um, during that process. Sure. So, so they'll, um, so again, through that referrals and through process and policy with our collaborative partners is um, they'll know that Haven is, exists. So we can't, we're not at every single intimate partner violence case or domestic violence case or, but we are, we try to be, or at least, you know, we want everybody to know. I mean, the more we're there, then the more funding we can get and the more we can right we can make a, a bigger impact yeah. so but it starts with um the advocates being called from the crisis line law enforcement might make that referral i mean in the city of southfield uh, is running the investigations we would i would mandate it knowing of the resources but those 
advocates would come right on site at the time. You know, you could have some type of crime um, that you're investigating and you have a victim there. We don't want, we don't, as law enforcement, you didn't have the time to really steward that victim to the, to the needs you, because you were investigating and maybe there's still a risk to the community and you needed that person tended to. Um, it, can, it can start there all the way to that person makes a referral, you know, a detective might make a referral so that advocate can come and assist. And, and it does assist the detectives too because now you can run the case and, and help that person but in a, in a constructive way so that person's not victimized over and over and over again. Um, because that tends to be the case is what's next. Of if someone's going through a prosecution and they choose to prosecute, what ends up happening is that story has to be told over and over again. And, and, and it's more of a task for, for law enforcement and prosecutors, and they're not recognizing the, the trauma stewardship of that victim through that process. And that's where he even come and we don't expect you to. I mean, that's right. why our resource is there. Um, and there's often times where, you know, prosecutors or law enforcement will say, hey, you know, I really like this victim here, but they don't need to sit here. And then our advocate will arrange transportation. Um, we'll, you know, depending on the case, we might have them off site where it's safer so they don't have to interact with that suspect's family um, and put them in a bad situation. Yeah. It's, it's a little easier to navigate for law enforcement, too. That's good. So, so you met, mentioned Yvette Brown, um, obviously. Yvette came Hi, from, Yvette. Uh, yeah, uh, from, from Auburn Hills Police Department. And it's interesting that two retired law enforcement, both who spent many years in the Detective Bureau um, advocating for domestic violence are now kind of over, overseeing part of Haven. So as the executive director with, with in Haven, I'm a, having that law enforcement perspective probably brings a lot to, that, to the Haven team um, alone. I think so. I think, um, you know, it was a little bit of culture shift um, for for our agency and more is understanding there can be a lot of misnomers with law enforcement and what our response is or what we're about. Um, and I think the language is changing, at least in our agency, I can speak to, because what they're finding is that law enforcement and emergency departments were really kind of all first response advocates. Um, but we don't, which they, when you change that language, our advocates are like, oh my gosh, you are. Like, so it's, 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 there's some barriers breaking down. And I find working with our staff, we have tremendously brilliant counselors and social workers and staff that are just um, with the collaboration law enforcement, it's been tremendous. And it's, and it helps us really because you know law enforcement and our staff and counselors and our social workers know social working, right? So, what I can't pretend to know law enforcement if I'm a social worker, and I can't pretend to know social work if I'm a law enforcement. So the collaboration really helps us see that 360 view in advocating for for victims of crime. Yeah, and on previous shows, um, you know, I, I mentioned we we have our co-responder program, um, and and I've mentioned it many times is that part of the problem with the the street responding officer is the lack of resources or the lack of information work. We put so many hats on, right? We, sure. They want us to be social workers and parents and counselors and teachers and everything else um, at the same time, prevent crime everywhere else, right? Sure. So we're, we're putting on a lot of those hats. And we, we've, we've had that talk where there always seemed to be this belief that social work and police had two different agendas and, and we couldn't collaborate together. But with our co-responder program, which is our social workers that respond to runs with us, We've proven that's not that's not true. We really, truly 
have one common goal in mind, and that's to seek justice for our victims um, and to provide the continued resources to get people help um, and prolonged help, right? So we're not coming back because, I mean, you guys see it more in the roles you are now, but I can't tell you how many times we come back to the station or sit in roll call and maybe discuss what happened the day before or day shift, and you'll be like, man, I can't believe he or she stays in that relationship, and I can't believe, you know, I wish we could do something more for those kids. Sure, sure. And when, so we are advocating, sometimes we just don't, we it's didn't have capacity. the, re yeah, it's capacity and having the resources and knowing that the street level officer has that phone call they can make to Oakland County Health Network or to Haven to provide resources for the, for our, for our victims. Um, because yeah. we talk about domestic violence and everybody goes right to the mindset that it's physical, right? There's some type of, but there's so many different, I mean, emotional can be, or, and mental can be just as Well, and it harming. can start early. I mean, you start with, well, I was going to say you were talking about officers responding to domestic violence is there can't be enough thanks for you, you, you and your team and all the officers out there because there isn't a lot of trauma stewardship for officers in, in dealing with this. And the unfortunate thing that's not talked about is when resources aren't given or understood or passed out, then that, you know, lethality increases, right? So when they get to Haven, lethality decreases. And what the wonderful thing is of coming from law enforcement perspective where you're dealing with victims of crime and you're investigating homicides, you know, of people who could not get out or the resource, and it just is, like I said, it's not easy. There's many, many reasons. Is coming to Haven, you you see the referrals, you see people coming in, they're alive, they have they have um, good after bad. Like we can almost, I can't guarantee it, but but coming to Haven, there is going to be brighter days. Like it, like you are at Haven now, there will be brighter days after. Um, so you talk about um, coming to Haven, the recidivism. The one thing that's really difficult is why do they go back and why do they stay and all those extra questions. It's not physical. And we have a preventative education. One of our services we provide is preventative education. And in that space is we talk, discuss with youth um, about advocating for yourself or what does advocating look like? You, you have a son and a daughter, but you probably have a lot of different ways you try to keep your daughter safe. You can't go out past eight. So what is it right now? Uh, daylight savings time, you probably can't go out past 630 right, right now without a parent or adult or your son. You're like, you know, just put a helmet on, you know, where, yeah. um, what are you wearing to your daughter? Uh, you're going to college. You got to have a whistle, a mace and everything else. But we don't talk to our sons about it. Um, so that's it. And it starts early. Like it doesn't have to be physical. You might have your kids are probably getting to the, the you said they were younger, but they're getting to the part where they're starting to have little crushes. But it can start through social media and through um, pressure. If you don't go out with me, I'm going to post this. You don't. So so really those cues or the people with those tendencies start really early. So we try to get them to recognize in the middle school, high school age um, so they can learn empowerment and learning, learning how to control um, their space or their outcomes a little bit, or not even control, but at least guide them. Guide them. Um, so, and then you get into adult relationships in, that are not physical. I make the money. 
you don't, and I control the money. I Now you have technology's great, right? But technology's also mm -hmm. terrible for abusers because they're able to monitor everything. You're able to see cameras, your movement. You can't even have a conversation outside of your house anymore without it being recorded and someone being able to watch it hundreds of miles away. They're on a they're on a work trip in Texas, and you're like, whew, I can breathe. And next thing you know, they're calling oh, yeah. you. Who's at the front door? And they have a camera. A Google camera that can hear every single thing you say out in your which is, street. Yeah, which is different. For, again, we talked about the differences from when we started. I, I started 2000, you started 99. We didn't have the, the technology, the text messaging, the control of having those things didn't exist then. Apple tiles. I mean, you can have, you think you're free, you remove all these surveillance methods, and you can drop an Apple tile that's about the size of a quarter that's underneath nice. your seat or put it up. You know, I'm giving too many ideas here, but they can track you, yeah. right? Um, and there's, but there's ways to defeat that. And our social action team uh, is part of under, you know, being able to give resources and understanding. It's the the abuse can happen in many, many, many ways. They can, hey, you want to go to the police academy, or you want to um, join the military, or you want to go be a doctor, and no. You know, we don't have the money for that, and they start restricting or pushing you away from friends. I don't like when you're hanging around that person. They, they disrespect me in front of you, and then you start real slow moving. So it's not always physical. Right. Um, was there anything in the past work at, at Southfield or anything that? And I know Chief Barron now um, is a, a big, big strong advocate. advocate against domestic violence. Um, obviously from the department he came from and then coming to Southfield and some of the things that have occurred in Southfield the last couple of years, um, he's been very vocal. Um, and, and it's a credit to him and, and to Southfield PD for bringing awareness to it. Obviously, we didn't say at the beginning, but it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, yes. uh, the month of October. It's obviously a, a big enough topic, important enough topic, um, that there's a whole month dedicated to the awareness, which um, you and I talked a little bit before, but as agencies, what are we doing to, to bring awareness to it? And for us, it's it's nonstop, right? We're always doing training. We're always trying to recognize that next step or those control methods people use. What When we walk into a home and we start seeing things, what are some key contributing things that we may see that shows there's some type of physical or emotional um, abuse, um, you know? Can be on a traffic stop if you know you have a, a significant others in a car. One of them won't look you in the eye uh, when you ask, "Hey, you doing okay today?" And you know they turn and look a, another way. That those are clues that we're constantly keying on. Sure. Was there anything in your career that brought you to the, to Do Haven or to to be a victim advocate? Oh, I, all of it. I believe. I mean, my my whole childhood, all the leadership roles I fell into through high school, um, falling into the police department at Southfield. Every every step of the way brought me, I think, to Haven. I mean, it, it's it's just that one case, right? And we could I could we could have another podcast on those cases, but right. there's um, I found when I was new into law enforcement, I was in the training program. I actually got written up, and when I say written up, it wasn't in trouble, but it was definitely. Um, we had a door, a daily observation, observation report. report. Yep. Still have those. <laughs> Still have those, which is a fantastic training program. But um, uh, and I stand by that. But one of the days they said I spent too much. One of the officers, again, probably started in 1972, um, was training me in 2001, and says spent too much time with the victim. And I came from a, a family. I was a single mom, victim of a secondary victim of child, uh, not child abuse, um, domestic violence, watch my mom in that type of relationship. So moved out at 16. So when I have an officer 
telling me I'm spending too much time with someone where if I would have had that, my mom would have had that information that I was able to now give to a victim. I would say that's probably where it all stems from. Because now, even through 20 years, I didn't care if you want to write me up for advocating for someone that is looking for a root solution. And I kind of came that that beacon of light for, for folks. And, all, and I was always advocating for the underdogs. So to be at Haven in this role and to have people like Yvette and our team, Jen Porter, and, and all our great social workers, Marcia Scott and her whole team, and, and everybody else in the social action, the whole the whole team's fantastic, are people who are willing to be the loud horns in the room and say that that's not right, right? Yeah. But that's why they're landing in and, that space. And it's, it's important from an outsider, you know, not being in Haven and that, to have that, to have yourself now. Law enforcement doesn't trust, you know, just everybody out there. So to bring, sure. you know, reliable, um, experienced people onto the team to bridge that gap between law enforcement and, and that only will increase the advocacy, advocacy every officer or everybody responding to these will have for our victims. Um, and I think, and so I think too. it's big. Because there, there is a distrust, right, like for, for law enforcement for good reason and for social work for good reason. There's, there's an understandable, um, but we're really building it because in the end we all are focused on the same mission and I think that rapport building is it's like you said it's only going to increase for Oakland County um, I feel it's a privilege to be in this seat to have to be in this role to be able to do that and and if you can name one case right like one case and I tell any detective or any officer or any advocate that we have working with us is they you know sometimes you can get burnout and burnout's a real thing that we have to worry about for our staff because they we do internalize so much and want to do we good. We live the life of our victims sometimes. We really do, right? So, But if you can have one person that you really um, took that extra minute, weren't worried, we're not worried about getting written up, and you took that extra minute to give them root solutions and resources, and they weren't able to get out, I'm sure you can name 10 right now, you know, yeah. at the time that we've been on it. Then, then you're doing your job, right? Yeah, you're, and helping people. Yeah. Or, I mean that's our job. It, it, it seems really but we, like, but it, but it was a time where we did not. I don't. I don't say we. It was just based on how the training was, how and the lack of resources that we had at the time. Yeah. And I'm glad there's there's organizations out there now that understand the importance of partnering in well, and multiple think, ways and bringing on people again who can bridge that gap or that relationship. I mean, I just speaking from my experience, knowing of that, that'd be somebody I would have relied on from our own agency like hey Absolutely. you know you have a female detective maybe I, we have two now but we only had one at one point sure. um if you have a female victim she would be somebody i would have reached out to in a heartbeat to say can you help us out and i know for a fact that her chiefs at the time would have re reciprocated that and allowed that to happen so those are just important um aspects for especially as a chief to know you know that we can rely on our partners when it comes in. Again, and I go back again for our co-responders that do it, they respond to a lot of our domestic violence runs with us or they follow up because there are so many times where there is a, you know, mental health challenge or a substance abuse challenge um, it, within, within that relationship that is kind of that root cause of some of it. And if we can help try to either identify it or help get out of it, We've really been successful, and I tell our guys all the time, and I think I think our trainers, Lieutenant Pizzuti and and many of the others, we always talk about when you enter someone's life on the road in their home, we're brought into the middle of it, right? We're brought into the middle of it of year. It could be years and years and years of something, but everybody's got a story, and we don't know what chapter we entered it in, 
right? Yeah, or what, what paragraph of that chapter did we, did we go through? Um, let's talk a little bit about how common domestic violence is. Well, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, yeah. just for my point of view. You could probably tell me the stats for, for, for your city, but you look at all the calls for service that any jurisdiction get, you could arguably say half their calls are domestic violence related. Right, their relationship related, their son, father, parenting issues, um, and then of those calls, there's a larger percentage of those that are intimate partner related. So that's pretty busy when you're talking about on a national scale. Whether if you're in the UP or you're in Bloomfield or Southfield, it's going to be half of those calls, and then it's very underreported. So by the time someone calls law enforcement or calls Haven, what we have to remember is is just those in the community that aren't really understanding our conversation right now, but is that it takes that person seven to 10 times just to call or seven to 10 times where I was like, mm, God, he was really kind of rude to me in that text or I don't really understand. Now he's telling me I can't go to college there like I'm feeling or I can't go after that scholarship. And it starts young, right? You're 17. You're getting looked at for colleges and they're like, well, we the manipulation of they start all of manipulating, you know, so by the time it's it could be 10 incidents later where they finally maybe make a disclosure. Right. So um, it's it's unfortunately very common. As you said, it takes up a whole month um, for awareness, could probably take a whole year. But we try to get people's awareness because um, if you talk too much, right, then they'll be tone deaf to it. So it's, I think what's important for your listeners is that the one thing that happens that people, regardless of all the changes we've made in the last 25 years is, is collaborative partners is they, people make a disclosure. You might even have an officer making a disclosure to you, right? Like, Hey, I'm going through some hard times and oh, oh you'll get through it, you know, and you know, Slap it's on the back. We got you. Yeah, we got you. Right. But, or you think you have an employee that's a problem when really they have a problem. You know, um, to our listeners, you have a child, who, you know, an adult child who's disclosing something to you, and you're like, just leave them. You know, it's, it's what they need to do is listen and then believe them. You know, try not to give advice um, that you're not sure about. If you're not sure that's what you're, the person disclosing to you is, is ready for, that's where Haven comes in to play is we try to help them because because if you don't if the person isn't empowered to make change they're not going to make the change and they're not going to do it in the 15 minutes that we're at their residence. and they're not going to do it in the 10 15 minutes um number one but no, but number two it's the empowerment if you want if we do want someone again it's the one person we can we get thirty thousand services we provide a year at haven but you might get 30 that that have made it out and up and on that year Right. So but the next year we might get 60 more. Right. So we never really know what the ending outcome is, but it starts with that first disclosure is believing them and supporting them. And through Haven, do you guys see a pattern when we talk to our victims of where that manipulation then becomes the violence? And I know, you know, we we watched the news last week where I believe it was Clinton Township had a had a domestic um, murder. What we'll call it, um, and then it gets to that strangulation level. It gets to that um, where it could turn fatal. Or, or is there is there any key factors that we're missing, or a victim may be missing that they need to get out? Um, and it's, I know it's probably different yeah. for everything, I, it, but is there anything that's a real, you know, well, key contributor? Well, there's um, and you can Google it. You know, and I hate 
point to Google, but it's easier it's for people to look at is the power and control wheel. And there's that was researched by a lot of psychologists and and when you look at it and you start to recognize like, wait a second, this is a lot of what's going on in my life, then then you probably want to call us. Um, as far as lethality, it's a really hard thing to assess, which Oakland County and law enforcement have been fantastic in understanding that and with the judges is we have the lethality assessment. <clears throat> when you guys do go out to scenes. That's helped, but it's not something you can predict. Um, I mean, I could tell you there's all kinds of indicators, right? There's right. red flags, previous weapons charges, um, doesn't have a job, uh, controls, you know, the, all these different measures has, has struck before, strikes the children. But we also have the same amount of homicides with people who've never committed a crime, but they're leaving, their spouse is leaving them and they there's no way out. Right, they have a, a misdemeanor domestic violence charge, or a disorderly conduct, right, that mm -hmm. ends up in a in a fatal situation. So, there is really no straight answer of when is because it is the one of the most unpredictable crimes because you just can't know what people are thinking. Right. What can we do as a community to make your job easier? Oh well, I mean, I would always put a call to action. Um, one of the in, in our call to action, it usually comes at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll always take a moment and say, okay, what can our community do? Um, is, is Well, first off, if it, do you have disclosures from students, coworkers, family, friends, uh, someone who's saying in a relationship and they're needing help, re refer Haven um, and, and let us do and let us help someone's safety plan and figure out what's next. But also volunteering. Um, we're only 50 strong. So, like I said, 30,000, um, we average around 30,000 services that we provide per year. Wow. You know, whether it's a Big counseling number. session, yeah, to, or a night in shelter, or uh, our social advocates, uh, social action advocates out in community. That's a big number. So, but there's also other things, like we have skilled volunteers that we could utilize. So if you have a skill specific that you would want to volunteer at, we would love to have you. Um, and, or just volunteering in any capacity. We have people helping clean up our yard, you know, helping us uh, mow, organize donations so we can, because again, we're any, any time that people give us is valued. Yeah. And then of course you can go to our website and donate um, Financially, we are 100% funded through grant and donor, um, about two-thirds through grants through the state, which is taxpayers, and then, um, uh, or Victims of Crime or Act, uh, we're funded through that, and then the rest is through through donors like your viewers. Yeah, um, and I would assume, is are there peer advocates, people who've been through um, domestic violence and escaped as part of your team or as part of like a peer coach or anything like that. Like I know Families Against Narcotic has those peer coaches or, or recovered addicts um, that come out and try to, you know, help the victims out. Um, somebody so that's been do, in those shoes. Well, what we found, um, even though we don't really carry it, is what we found is majority of our, our employment, our employees have um, are a survivor in some capacity. Um, which probably drove them to it. Which probably drove them to it, right? Is, uh, so, so yes, and. Um, and then we have a Survivors Speakers Bureau where we have survivors who are past, you know, they've moved forward and they're in a space now where they do want to give back in um, like an advocacy activism way where they can improve their communities. So we have a whole, um, they come to events and help us uh, kind of relay their stories and, and people can and 
connect through that way. But we don't have a um, team per se that someone. Yeah, but there's people in there. There's people as part of the organization that understand if I'm the yeah. victim that I, what I'm going through and why it's so hard for Absolutely. me and can walk me through those next well, we dark. Because the first week, I'd imagine first week is dark. The second week, it's a little lighter. And as the time goes on, things Oh, yeah, just coming into shelter and um, not having anything. Yeah. So we've, um, I did mention one of our uh, other services, counselors. So even if someone's in shelter, um, we do have, if we're too busy for counseling, all, all counseling services are free. Some people are in it one year, two year. We don't put a time limit on counseling because you might get through it in six months, but then you might start dating again in two or three years. And what you don't want to do is repeat, you know, and and make sure that, you know, we have people who check in and I don't want to fall into those same patterns with this person yeah. and make sure. But what we do offer, even if we're to capacity in counseling, is we do have group counseling. So we offer something. So even folks in shelter can come over to group counseling once a week. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. So if any of our listeners want to get into Haven, what's the email ad or what's the uh, website address? It's Haven dash oakland.org okay. and is there a tip line or a phone number that they would call there is i'll uh, get it out because I, I i get my confused and the tip line so it's 248-334-1274 and that's for anybody to call in either give a tip or if they're a victim themselves and need, need help yeah. Um, and I think it's important for, we, we talked about it again before the show about us becoming more partners with Haven and, and working with our community relations officers to push out that the information. The more that's seen, the more people will get confident and, and feel empowered um, to get out of these relationships. Well, I'll say with Southfield, we put it in our policy. So yeah. well, we have, we have a long have domestic, domestic violence policy, and we have all the victim rights forms that all have those phone numbers on them. And, <laughs> um, that's a requirement of ours to give out. Thank um, you. And so, and I know, like I said, typically um, when you get into these situations, it doesn't really matter. I, I feel like the detectives end up, you know, Absolutely. living the life of those victims sometimes, especially if it's a repeat person who who they know is afraid to get out and they're trying to encourage and, and you guys develop those relationships in, in the de detective bureaus. Um, I always said there, there was times where I could tell when some of our detectives were emotionally connected um, to this, knowing the out, fearing the, what the outcome could be if they didn't try to didn't. advocate Absolutely. on behalf of the victims. And I think that's, you know, again, when we, we started... It's important for the listeners to know and our communities to know that we do have these back behind the scenes conversations, that Absolutely. we have policies, and we can't always um, save everybody. I, I, unfortunately, personal protection orders and, and uh, domestic violence um, conditional bond orders are on paper. We can only do so much to protect. We need the victims to be powerful and families to let us know what's going on so we can do Absolutely. it. So I want to thank you for coming today. It's such an important topic. Like you said, we could probably spend hours on it. Um, <laughs> I look forward to bringing a vet on another time um, so we can further this conversation and, and about how important it is. But being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I think it's important for you to be here and uh, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having us on and, and putting Haven in the light. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Chief. Yes. And we want to thank you for watching our community policing podcast today. Uh, such an important topic for our listeners and our residents to know. Uh, and if you know of anybody that's struggling in a relationship or is involved in a domestic violence, please reach out to either our department, um, if it's an emergency, 911, or reach out to Haven. Thank you for watching.